The reading is from Ezekiel, um, chapter 1. In the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Kibar Canal, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the name in the land of the Chaldeans, by the Kibar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud, with brightness round it, and fire flashing forth continually. And in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the soles of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. And the four had their faces and their wings thus, their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward, without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side, The four had the face of an ox on the left side, and the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces, and their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies, and each went straight forward. Wherever the spirit would go, they went without turning as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the light went forth lightning, and the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. Now as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth besides the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of beryl, and the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being as it were a wheel within a wheel. When they went... They went in any of their four directions without turning as they went. And their rims were tall and awesome, and the rims of all four were full of eyes all round. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them, and when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. Wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went, and the wheels rose along with them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went, these went, and when those stood, 
these stood. And when those rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Over the heads of the living creatures, there was the likeness of an expanse, shining like awe-inspiring crystal, spread out above their heads. And under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight, one towards another. And each creature had two wings covering its body. And when they went, I heard the sound of their wings, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. When they stood still, they let down their wings. And there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads. When they stood still, they let down their wings. And above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne, in appearance like sapphire, and seated above the likeness of a throne, was a likeness with a human appearance. And upwards from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire, enclosed all round. And downwards, from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire, and there was brightness round him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all round. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. Their descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions, be not afraid of their words nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house, and you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. Ezekiel chapter 1. Maybe you are quite a new Christian, maybe you are not familiar with Christianity at all, Maybe you thought the Bible was kind of weird and irrelevant, and then your worst fears have come true after that reading. If you found that confusing, fear not. 
for you are not alone. It is a very confusing um, passage, but an unbelievably cool passage and a magnificent um, passage to preach on. There are some books in the Bible that are easier to understand than others, and Ezekiel can seem like one of the harder ones. But actually, as we begin this series looking through this book, uh, I hope you'll see uh, that it's not that complicated. And actually, what it has to say to us today is profoundly relevant. There are bits of this book that are shocking. There are bits of this book that are amazing, uh, and you will find incredibly comforting. Uh, And I'm really excited to look through it this term. And Ezekiel really is all about one big thing, the glory of God. That is what the book of Ezekiel is about, the glory of God. Now, what is the glory of God? It's quite a hard thing, actually, to to define when you think about it. But I think when the Bible talks about the glory of God, it means the, the kind of visible manifestation of his greatness. It's his character. It's his holiness, the the thing that makes him God, the thing that makes him unique, the, the thing that makes him majestic and awesome. So his glory is almost always synonymous in the Bible with his presence. Where God is, that is where his glory will be. That is where his greatness will be seen. Now, technically, yes, God is everywhere, but we can't see him. His, his glory is this kind of focused, visible presence on earth. Now, this book, Ezekiel, it was written around 600 years before Jesus. And at a time, at that time, everyone believed that God's glory, the visible manifestation of his presence, was to be found one place on earth, in the temple in Jerusalem. That was the connecting point between God and man before Jesus came. But here's the problem. God's people, the the nation of Israel, if you've read through any history of the Old Testament, you know that they were a rebellious people. You see it mentioned here in chapter 2. They had kept turning their backs on God. They kept ignoring him. They kept rebelling against him. And God warned them that if they were constantly disobedient, he would take his glory and he would leave them and they would be destroyed. But they didn't listen. Hundreds of years of warnings and they didn't listen. And so in 597 BC, God sent the mighty Babylonian army to wipe out his people and they came right to God's own city, Jerusalem, and they took it over and they carried off a large group of its people off into exile as prisoners into Babylon. And one of the men they took was a young man in his 30s who was just beginning to train as a priest in the temple and his name was Ezekiel. Now, in 597 BC, the Babylonians didn't completely destroy Jerusalem, nor did they destroy the temple. So at the time Ezekiel writes this, many of the Israelites thought at this time, well, God won't let Jerusalem fall. God won't let his temple be destroyed. I mean, that's the connecting point between God and mankind. That's where his glory is. There's no way God will let his temple fall. But God speaks to Ezekiel in this book precisely to tell them that despite what they may think, the temple will fall and God's glory will leave his people. So, 
The first two-thirds of this book are very dark as God lays out why this is happening, as God explains to us the severity of sin and how a good, just, holy God should respond to that. But the end of Ezekiel contains some of the most amazing chapters in the entire Bible. And it's chapters full of promises of hope and of restoration that, that God's glory, although it's not in the temple, is going to come back. That God will not leave his people. It's the, the promises of a great plan to restore humanity, to create a new humanity, to unite them around this single figure known as his shepherd king, of God's plan to finally dwell with his people forever, free from sin and death. Promises that we know today were eventually fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And it's helpful, I think, as we look through Ezekiel to bear that in mind. We are reading a book of promises that look forward to something that began to be fulfilled at the arrival of Jesus. Ezekiel is a wonderful book for understanding the Gospels. In fact, you will never really understand the Gospel of John, especially without understanding the book of Ezekiel first and seeing how Jesus fulfills these great promises. So let's dive into this book. The big question that has been asked throughout the book of Ezekiel, the big question that has been asked about Jerusalem, as Jerusalem is about to be destroyed is will God's glory be with his people? As Israel loses her land, does it mean that she will lose her God? And God wants them to know why this happened and what hope there is for the future. But before he commissions Ezekiel to go out and speak these truths to the people, he wants Ezekiel to know, he wants the exiles to know, and he wants us here today to know just who it is who is speaking. And so as Ezekiel sits 700 miles away as a prisoner, he sees the glory of God. Two points, and we're just really going to focus on the first point tonight. It's on your service sheet there. The vision of the glorious God and the voice of the glorious God. Now, this vision is breathtaking. And just as we begin, I want us to realize something very important as we read Ezekiel. We are not Ezekiel. So this is not normal. This is not how God speaks to us today. Um, Ezekiel had a unique commission to speak God's word to his people. He was a prophet, and we don't have prophets like they had in the Old Testament today. We can read from them and we can learn from them, but that's not how God speaks. And that's why I got cheeks to read to us that verse from Hebrews, which I've printed out on your sheet there. And I think that's a really helpful verse to have kind of hanging over this passage. You see, the author of Hebrews writes that in the past, God spoke to his people through the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So the clearest revelation of who God is, is seen not in this vision, but ultimately in Jesus. And actually, if you just look at the vision that Ezekiel has here, it is confusing, but you'll, you'll have noticed as Wendy read that vision to us, as you go through it, it kind of gets vaguer and vaguer as to what it is Ezekiel actually saw. So he keeps saying things like, it was like this, and it, it kind of had the appearance of this. In fact, if you look just at the end of the vision, verse 28, this is how he sums it up. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So what Ezekiel saw was not the glory of the Lord, nor was it 
the likeness of the glory of the Lord, but it was an appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. He saw this amazing sight, but there's still a kind of fuzziness to, to what it was that he actually saw. And if Hebrews 1 is true, then we today have a clearer picture of God's glory because everything is clearer in Jesus. And did you notice in that Hebrews 1 verse, it says that he is the radiance of the glory of God. So, as we unpack this vision, my aim is really simple this evening. I just want us to understand the glory of Christ. To, to stretch our understanding about who it is we speak of when we speak of God, when we speak of Jesus Christ. Because I think one of the big dangers in evangelicalism today is that we have almost kind of tamed Jesus to make him only about us and our personal relationship with him. And whilst that is true that he is very personal and is about an intimate relationship with God, that's what Jesus offers Whilst that is true, that must never detract from the overwhelming greatness and power and majesty of Jesus Christ. And I wonder maybe if we've lost that a little bit. And this is where Ezekiel chapter 1 will really, really help us. So, what does Ezekiel see in God's glory? The first thing he sees is his supreme authority. Now, this vision begins. It's kind of slowly building up tension. You have to realize that um, this is not something that you're meant to draw out uh, or paint. I'm glad there's no stained glass windows of this vision. Uh, you cannot confine God in that way or tame him in that way. So that a lot of the language here is is very symbolic, though Ezekiel is describing something that he really did see. And the first thing he describes, what he spends most of his time describing, are these four living creatures that kind of come out of this fiery storm and whirlwind. And these creatures, they had a kind of human likeness. They had four wings and they had hands underneath their wings and their wings were spread out, touching one another. Verse 10, this is what they were like. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the four had the face of an eagle. So what's that all about? Well, humanity was seen as the, the kind of pinnacle of God's creation. We are made in his image. Uh, the lion was seen as the, I guess, the highest order of wild animals. The ox is described as the kind of the highest order of domestic animals. And the eagle was seen as one of the highest order of birds. So Ezekiel, what he is trying to describe, what he saw in these creatures, were creatures that embodied the highest attributes of all living creation. The most noble and beautiful beings in creation. We actually know from later on in Ezekiel that these creatures are what the Bible calls cherubim. Uh, so they are angelic beings that exist to serve God. So when you think of a cherubim, you need to get out of your head this image of a chubby little baby in a nappy. Um, this is not a nice endearing term when you call your little one a little cherub. You're, you're basically saying to them, you, you little four-faced creature that shoots bolts of lightning out your eyes. Um, these beings are terrifying, terrifying beings that protect and serve the glory of God. They are guardians of God's glory, kind of like a, a heavenly secret service. And next to them, 
these beings, these, these four living creatures are these great and awesome wheels, which we'll look at in a minute. But above them, verse 22, is this expanse that is beautiful and radiant, a great expanse that they are holding up. The tension is building as Ezekiel describes what he's seen. He, he's slowly looking up and he dares to look higher. And as he does, the vision becomes more incredible, but it becomes vaguer the further up he looks. Verse 26, there's the likeness of a throne. And then he looks even higher and he sees someone with the likeness of a human being. And as he looks up, he can see no higher than his waist because he is so overwhelmed with brilliant fire and light. It's just incredible. And now if you step back from this vision, what Ezekiel is, take the whole thing as one, what Ezekiel is describing here, and I hadn't really realized this until I was reading about it this week, Ezekiel's vision is one of God sitting on his throne, riding a heavenly chariot. It's an image of God as kind of this divine warrior, as this eternal king whose splendor and majesty and supreme authority are unparalleled. This is who we speak of when we speak of God. And the original readers of Ezekiel needed to see this because, as you'll have noticed from chapter 2, the people Ezekiel speaks to are rebellious people. Those who think that they know what God is like, but in in truth, they, they don't know what God's like. They're not listening to him. They're rebelling against him. They need to see that, that this is the God they are rebelling against. They need to understand that Babylon's destruction of Jerusalem and the temple does not come from the hands of the Babylonians ultimately. It comes from the hand of God himself. This is God on his chariot and he is about to wage war on his people. And it's a terrifying vision. And you do not mess with God. You do not. And yet this glorious God that Ezekiel sees here is the same God who 600 years later came to us as a human being. And that's what makes Jesus so amazing that this great, great, powerful king would humble himself to become a tiny, fragile human baby, God in the flesh. And when we look at Christ in the Gospels, we see, yes, he was so approachable that even the little children would run to him. But there was a terrifying aspect to the character of Jesus that when the demons saw him, they, terif- they were petrified and they cowered. Because they saw behind the flesh and they saw that this was the great king of the universe and it terrified them. And although Jesus came initially as a suffering servant to save, he himself actually wants us to be clear that he will come back, not as a humble Galilean peasant, but as the king of the earth to judge the world. This is what he says in Matthew thirteen twenty six. Listen to the Ezekiel language. Uh, Mark 13, 26, sorry. You will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. That's a terrifying thought for those who aren't trusting Jesus. Just as this vision was a terrifying prospect for the exiles, not trusting God in Ezekiel's time, you do not reject him. It's far too terrifying. But this aspect of God's glory is also immensely comforting. 
For people like Ezekiel, who who are genuinely following God, but who find themselves caught in really difficult times, we are reminded that no matter what the circumstance, there is only one king who sits on his throne above the universe, who rules over it all. Jesus is this great warrior king. In fact, in Revelation 19, a lot of the language that John uses there to describe Jesus is from here, Ezekiel 1. And that is a great comfort because it means this. If he is not fighting against us, he will always be fighting for us. He will fight for his people. Right up to the point that he was willing to be crucified and to bear God's wrath against their sins so that they could be saved. He will fight for our salvation. That's who this king is. Jesus is infinitely greater than we can comprehend. Do you see how... Just when you start scratching the surface of this vision, it's stretching our understanding of God. I often wonder if we've maybe lost something of the mystery of God and that we try and confine God. We try and understand him completely. And yes, we'll see that, that he has revealed himself very clearly, but we, we need to give room to the fact that God is God. That there's a mysterious greatness about him that we will never fully comprehend. We mustn't tame him. We mustn't confine him. We mustn't, in times that are difficult, that Ezekiel finds him in, we mustn't try and think that he has to tell us why we are going through everything we are going through. We need to give room for God to be God. To let him be the king of the universe. And trusting in him and putting yourself in his great hands It's the safest place that you can be. Second thing we see in this vision is the sovereign mobility of God. Now, that sounds weird, but it's very important. Did you notice that this vision has a lot of movement to it? There's a lot going on in this vision. The living creatures at the base of this chariot, they are dictated by the Spirit of God uh, to go in four directions. They either go north, south, east, or west. They move in a kind of grid-like pattern, and they're constantly moving. Verse 14, the living creatures darted to and fro like the, the appearance of a flash of lightning. And next to them are these huge and awesome wheels within wheels that move this great chariot of God's glory. Verse 15, now as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for their appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like gleaming beryl. And the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being, as it were, a wheel within a wheel. When they went, they went in any of the four directions without turning as they went. And their rims were tall and awesome. And the rims of all four were full of eyes all around. So why is there this big emphasis on this kind of mobility of God's glory? of the movement of God's glory. Well, you have to understand, again, in Ezekiel's time, the Israelites thought that God's glory, if you remember, was confined to that one place, the temple. That is where the glory of God is. In fact, there's loads of temple imagery in this vision. The way the the four creatures are positioned, they're they're in a square shape, they they have their wings outstretched, one be facing that way and then another facing the other way, and they form a kind of square as they stand with their wingtips touching each other. And if you were to ever go into the most holy place of the temple, which you wouldn't be allowed to go into because you'd see the glory of God and you'd die, 
Um, but if you were to ever go in there, you would see before you died that it was shaped like a square. That was the shape that it was. And in the most holy place in the temple was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if you've read your Old Testament or if you've seen Indiana Jones, you'll know what the Ark of the Covenant looks like. Um, I don't know if it would melt your face off, like in that film, maybe. Um, But you remember what it looks like? It's the two cherubim with their wings stretched out, touching one another. And that's what's been described here in this vision. It's almost like all of that was meant to be symbolic of the presence of God. And what Ezekiel's seen here is a kind of mobile temple, that the presence of God is moving. These great, awesome wheels, they show his omnipresence. He can go wherever he wants. Uh, The eyes that are kind of symbolically all around the wheels, they, they show God's omniscience. There is nowhere that he cannot be and there is nothing that he can't see. This is huge because if you had asked Ezekiel, taken off as a prisoner by the Babylonians, if you had asked him at this time, is God with you? He would have said, no, God's not with me. God's back in Jerusalem. He's in the temple. And what happens when God's temple would have been destroyed? Well, all hope would have been lost because the last connecting point between God and man would have been broken. But this vision shows us that that is not the case. God's glory is with Ezekiel right here by the banks of the Kabar Canal. And notice where it came from, verse 4. The glory of God comes out of the north, not out of the south where Jerusalem was, where the temple is, because God is not hindered by circumstance. God is not hindered or confined by geography. And again, this vision is enlarging our understanding of God. And so Christ, the radiance of God's glory, reminds us that he too is not hindered by circumstance or by geography. It's what we saw this morning. What does he say at the end of Matthew's gospel? He says to his followers, Behold, I am with you always, right up until the very end of the age. And he is with us now by his Holy Spirit. That same Spirit that that moved the glory of God in this vision is here with us because we have been forgiven by Jesus and we are, as the New Testament authors say, God's temple. When Jesus saves you, he keeps you. When he gets you, he cannot lose you. This God is with us always, always. Do you know that the the New Testament writers, when they try and talk about what life is like as a Christian, quite often they compare it to being exile in the time of Ezekiel when Israel was exiled off to Babylon. And just as they were away from home, We know that we too are away from home. We are made to be with God in his glory. And this world is great and there's so many good things. But it's not our home. And there are moments that we're reminded of that. Moments of sickness or hurt or death or when we're confronted with our own sinful nature. And sometimes it can just feel very isolating living as a Christian. And this vision of the glorious God reminds us that he is not absent. A fact that is cemented by what Jesus has done for us. He does not abandon those whom he dies for. But just as in the first point, there's also an ominous note with this. A note of warning. The comfort for the Christian is that God will not leave them. But also note that you cannot escape from God. 
you reject him, you will have to face him. And Ezekiel's getting us to see here that there is no refuge from the king, only in the king. Third thing we see in this great vision is his splendorous majesty. It's a good word. Got my third S in there, so it's okay. His splendorous majesty. And again, this is maybe an attribute of God that we might forget or neglect. Everything in this vision is so colorful and beautiful and awe-inspiring. All these images are are designed to kind of conjure up in our minds images of of beauty and of, of wonder, to make us feel the wonder of God and therefore to see and taste the beauty of Christ who radiates the glory of God. This chariot of God, it comes on a thunderstorm. Verse 4, on a great cloud with fire flashing back and forth continually. And in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. Don't know if you've ever been in a thunderstorm. I went on a very poorly planned stag do. It was rubbish. And we climbed the Monroe. Um, And I would never do it again, but we climbed and whoever organized it, the best man, didn't organize it very well and didn't check the weather. And up the top of this massive mountain, we were caught in this thunderstorm. And it is terrifying when you're there to see the awesome power of nature and to realize how small and frail and finite you really are. Feel the rumble of thunder in your gut to see the flashes of lightning. That's what happens when God appears. Fire is just everywhere in this vision. And it conveys something that's just mesmerizing but also dangerous. And then there's these great massive awesome wheels, intersecting wheels. Wheels which we are told gleam like beryl. Beryl's a kind of mineral that was found in granite. It was often like pink and green and uh, wonderfully colorful. Or there's the great expanse that the the creatures are holding up above their heads. Verse 22, shining like awe-inspiring crystal. Like frost or, or ice, like the brilliant sparkling of a diamond. And on the expanse is a great throne, an appearance like sapphire. And there's this dazzling beauty that is just surrounding God. Verse 28, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. And it wasn't just visible splendor that Ezekiel saw in his vision. He heard this vision. He really heard it. Verse 24, when the creatures moved, this chariot, it was like the sound of many waters, the sound of the Almighty, the sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. I don't know if you've ever been to Niagara Falls, not just um, at the top, but if you've ever been fortunate enough to go down, um, there's a little outlook bit in the kind of middle, uh, and to hear this, this kind of overwhelming amount of water falling. The sound of it is just deafening. Or you can imagine the sound of this great army marching as it shook the ground, a sound that Ezekiel knew all too well. And you see again, it's stretching our understanding of God. The beauty and the majesty of God is to use Ezekiel's words, awe-inspiring. 
Think of moments of beauty like the, the valleys of Glencoe in springtime, or if you've ever been anywhere uh, like the Alps or, or Victoria Falls, if you've ever seen the northern lights, people pay money to see these things because it's just so incredible to witness its beauty. Well, all of that is just a tiny, little, muddy, pale reflection of what Ezekiel saw. To see this would be incredible. David says in Psalm 27, Oh, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all my days so that I can gaze upon his beauty. And that beauty and that splendor was magnified in Christ. And I don't mean physically. Um, We don't know what Jesus looked like. The only thing actually we know about what Jesus looked like physically when he first came uh, was that he wasn't that impressive. He didn't really look like much. He just looked like a normal bloke. You couldn't have picked him out in a crowd. But it's the character of Jesus that is unimaginably beautiful. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know this, that there's just something so captivating about him. Like you just want more. You see, following him is not, it's not mere obedience to a king, though it is that. But it's not just that. It's, it's about being utterly captivated by Christ because he is not just a man. This is the great God of Ezekiel's vision in the flesh, radiating his glory. There is just joy-filled wonderment that comes from learning about Christ. And you want more because you realize that this is an infinite treasure and there's more to be had. And Jesus says, one day we will see him face to face. You see, the promise of Christianity is not a peaceful life or even a long life or or happiness by any other kind of human measurement. The promise of Christianity is to see God in his glory. That's what Jesus died to get for us. To be with God in his presence. To see him in his beauty. To be satisfied by who he is for all eternity and to enjoy him. We're out of time, but I just want to draw you to that final point on your sheet as a way of setting us up for Ezekiel now. The vision is here to expand our understanding of God. I cannot do this passage justice in half an hour. We need more time because it's too great. But all that we see of him here, his greatness, his majesty, his power, all of that is to set up this in verse 28. I heard the voice of one speaking. Do you know what's so amazing about this great God? He speaks to us. Chapter 2, verse 1. Son of man, stand on your feet. I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. There is a mystery to God that we must have because he is so great. But don't confuse that with a lack of clarity. This great God wants to be known. He tells Ezekiel, Ezekiel, I want you to go out and I want you to tell people about me. I want you to tell them what I'm saying. Even though they are a rebellious house, even though they hate me, even though they will not listen to me, I want them to know. In fact, all throughout Ezekiel is this repeated rephrase that they will know I am the Lord. You'll know that if you've ever uh, seen Samuel Jackson's famous speech in Pulp Fiction, where he quotes Ezekiel. It's a reference that two of you got, I think, there. But God is concerned about being known. 
Why? Because he cares. Even if they don't listen, I want them to know that I have spoken to them. So they have no excuse. If we are vague about God and what he's like, it's not because he hasn't revealed himself. It's because we have not listened. We can hear his voice. We can read of it in Ezekiel. Please do read it. Read it when you go home. It's a great book. But as Hebrews 1 reminds us, in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. What better way of God to communicate to humanity than by becoming one of us? That's why the Apostle John says this. Now think about what we have just read about the glory of God. Remember, he couldn't quite see it. Think about what John says here. Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory. We've seen it. There is an invitation from God tonight to know him. Are you bored with God? Are you cold with the gospel? Do you have no or little heart for evangelism? Do you feel abandoned by God? And if you are, the problem is that you have lost sight of the glory of God. And the only way to recapture that is to listen to him. Why not make a real effort this week to listen to God by reading his Bible And asking yourself, what does this tell me about Jesus? If you've never read the Bible before, read John's gospel to begin with. God is inviting you to see his glory. And when you read his word and you see it in his son, then you will begin to experience it. Then you'll want to do what Ezekiel does in this chapter. and Just fall down and worship. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this great and awesome vision of your glory so hard to put into words the greatness of who you are, yet you are not indescribable. You have made yourself known. You have spoken to us, and we can know something of your splendor and your beauty. Thank you for what we see of it here in this vision that you gave to Ezekiel. Thank you that we see that you're this great king riding on the chariot, that you are this one who is sovereign, who is not limited by circumstance, that you are the God who can be everywhere in his glory. Thank you that we see here that you are beautiful and wonderful and there is nothing that compares to you. Father, we thank you that we have all that and we see it clearer through Christ, your son. And we pray this week that we would just see more of you We wouldn't tame you. We wouldn't be satisfied with what we think that we know of you, but that we would be constantly striving to see your glory. Help us to see Christ, to learn from him, and to know him better, and to have everything in our lives put under the perspective of the reality of the glory of Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.